Happy to have you aboard here for the really big barbecue show. Boing. We cook because we have to, and we grill because we want to. Hit me! Fine, how you doing? You have a great show, I'm a big fan. Boing. So what 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 seems to be the problem here? This man looks like he's dead and he's in the in the crackle. Charbono. It's all about the Charbono, dude. Succulent fish. What? We ate two feet before we nursed. Oh, listen, Liberty, it's a shit feast. I'm shaking like a dog shit peach seed. <laughs> we have top men working on it right now. All right, just like that, we are into the second hour. Welcome aboard. It's the Barbecue Central Show. And we talk about Barbecue Central Show items, the live fire fun and frivolity show here on your Tuesday evening. Still to come on this show, Ed Riley in just a few moments, and then Mendel Lint from The Meat Stick. You can follow me socially at BBQ Central Show on Instagram and Twitter and TikTok and Snappy Snaps slash BBQ Central Show on Facebook and Twitch for video feeds. Also slash RD Rempe on YouTube for your third and final video feed option. Coming up on the best moments of the BBQ Central Show in 10 minutes or less this Friday, you will find episode 160 taking you back to January 5th, 2016. And the pitmaster of Van Clark Crew Barbecue, Travis Clark, was my guest. And we learned about Travis and how he got into the competition barbecue scene back in the day. You know, when you look back at how long he's done it, from a time standpoint, not that long in the biz to achieve the success that he has a couple years ago when he won Team of the Year. I think we would all agree, for those that follow the circuit over the course of the last 10, 15 years, there wasn't any other team who had experienced the type of success that he had who was winning the type of competitions that he was winning and maximizing and blowing out the points the way that he was doing it. There was nobody better on the competition scene a good two or three years running. And two of those three years, he won Team of the Year. So we learned about how he got into the competition scene. The biggest revelation of that whole conversation was the year that he was winning the uh, team of the year, he was also talking about his self-inflicted pains of his own inconsistencies. And when you talk about competition barbecuers, the refrain that you hear back from them, beginning and middle and professional uh, grizzled vet is you have to be consistent. You have to run the same program. And through that previous year, he was buying... Snake River Farms briskets for one competition, and he was buying like Sam's Club briskets for the next competition. He was buying something completely different for that. There was no consistency in the brisket, and while he was top 10 or higher in ribs and chicken and pork, he was 115th, or he was 100 plus for results in the brisket category, and as he started to look back on it, said, well, I was my own worst enemy there. I was inconsistent in that category and this is why and he fixed it and eventually won out and won team of the year and he has those titles to prove it full link in the show notes when you get to it on friday and let me remind you that if you have a favorite segment or guest that you would like to hear a best of from email john j-o-n at the bbq central show.com and he will take care of you or do his best attempt I'll get to Bubba's from George's email next week. Looky here, serendipitous. I'll talk to you quickly about B&B Charcoal before we bring on the guy from B&B Charcoal. Not all charcoal is created equal. First and foremost, charcoal is a heat source. You want to look for the most efficient way to cook outdoors. Second is the taste and appearance benefit. The charcoal can give your food. Third is the health and safety considerations for you and your equipment. The two main types of charcoal are obviously lump and briquette. The key differences between lump and briquette is the charcoal briquette is that lump is 100% natural wood. Briquettes are made of wood byproducts and additives. Quality comes from the quality ingredients. 
Fuel is the last ingredient, but it is the first taste that you perceive when eating. Choosing the right fuel source makes all the difference. It's very important to use best quality charcoal when you cook because it is both a heat source and a flavor source. And as you know, you have the options. The charcoal lump and the charcoal briquette. I would say if you're going to do overnight or you want consistent long burn times, briquette is your item. If you want something with a little higher heat, lump charcoal. Less ash production. Maybe you're not worried about cooking for hours and hours on end. I would say lump is the way to go. Uh, Bottom line is this. Both fuels have the advantage and the disadvantage. Both can be used to make great food. The call is up to you. There is no right or wrong answer. Fuel source truly depends on you as the cook. Always be sure to buy the highest quality products from a brand you can trust like B&B Charcoal. And you can check out where to buy them when you visit bbcharcoal.com. I would suggest your local ace to start with. bbcharcoal.com and Ed Riley is ready to go as well. Stick around. We'll be right back for some Peloton. Monthly visits from a killer hog, a cooking guy, a man named Meathead, the author of Barbecue Bible, a grill girl, a bristly barbecue journalist, and the male feasance of the barbecue world known as the Embedded Correspondence. Only found right here on the Barbecue Central Show. All right, welcome back. This portion of the show being brought to you by Pit Barrel Cooker. Most unbelievable outdoor cooking device on the planet. Currently available in two sizes with a host of accessories, whether you're a beginner or professional. Definitely a cooker you want to add to the arsenal. Visit pitbarrelcooker.com and tell them the Barbecue Central Show sent you. My first guest in the second hour is the Director of Sales and Marketing over at B&B Charcoal, leading manufacturer of charcoal products on the market today and one of the newest sponsors of this show. He was on near the end of 2020 to rave reviews. We got the history of the company. We talked about briquettes. We talked about lump. Tonight, we will touch on their other product called Wood Pellets. Are you familiar with that? Of course you are. We race back to the hotline and welcome back Ed Riley to the show. Hey, Ed. Hey, Greg. How are you, sir? I am absolutely fabulous. Appreciate you joining me here this evening so we can talk a little bit more B&B product and then uh, towards the end, we'll talk about, uh, what, I guess, what I would term a raging addiction. A, some might call it a, a large curation. Uh, we'll call it whatever you want to call it, and we'll get into that here in just a few minutes. But let's go ahead and uh, talk about some other fuel sources that B&B has to offer. Last time you were on, as I had mentioned in the open, we talked about briquettes, and we talked about Lump. Lump being that main flagship product, and then briquettes grew out of that. Charlogs grew out of that. One of the cookers that have become incredibly popular, I mean, they've been around since the mid-80s, so if you're a nerd like me, you've certainly been aware of them for quite a period of time. But to the general ham and egger out there that continues to grow their cooking arsenal, pellet cookers have really come into vogue. They've become very popular for any number of reasons, and obviously you need wood pellets to fire those. And B&B has pellet options, so let's go ahead and talk about where the pellets are for B&B and, uh, you know, what yours look like compared to some of the other ones. Yeah, great. Thank you. Uh, yeah, pellets are um, definitely a, a legitimate source of outdoor cooking. I enjoy my pellet grill. I've got an old Traeger um, and a uh, newer Rectech. So they, uh, they come in a lot of varieties. B&B has been making pellets, I think, for about, nearly nine years, almost 10 years. Uh, the difference, uh, just like with everything B&B does, is we make ours a little bit different. So we make a wood chip and chunk that's part of the barbecue fuels that we have. And then after we get done processing the, the, the chips and chunks, we clean those remnants out, the smaller scraps, those pieces of wood, and that's what we use to make our pellets from. So our apple pellets are made with our apple wood, uh, we do mix the fruit woods a little bit because the fruit woods need a little more BTU, so we mix everything that's a fruit wood with our uh, with our oak. Um, and then our oak and hickory and mesquite are standalone, but then our apple, cherry, maple, missing one. Um, I'll come to me. I, gotta, I should put that list in front of me. But the, uh, the fruit woods are mixed with uh, the 70-30 mix with our oak and our fruit woods. Uh, the difference in that is uh, a lot of other pellet manufacturers, they source their wood from industrial scrap wood. So it might be leftover 
pieces of furniture, pieces of bed frames and that type of stuff. And then they compress that and they add flavor oils. We don't do that. Our wood is from our own source. Uh, and our source is hand-selected. When our apple wood comes in, we have a guy who inspects the wood that comes in before it's kiln-dried, and they accept wood or they don't accept wood, um, which, which gives a, us a higher quality control on, on the wood that we start off with. And then within one season, that wood is compressed into our pellets. Uh, we don't have to use a whole lot of binder agents. A lot of people use corn or rice binders. We use very little binder because there's still sap left in that wood. So when that pellet is, is compressed, some of the natural saps form the, um, the casing on that. Uh, we do use some cornstarch binder in it, but not much. And that makes a difference because if you have a lot of binding agent in it, you leave your pellets out at night, they're going to absorb moisture. Mine's going to absorb less moisture because there's less binder in it. There's more natural resins in there. And those resins, those saps are more water resistant. So your pellets won't expand. I know if... Um, I've left my pellet outside for too long, and then when I go into the hopper, all those pellets have expanded and turned to dust, basically. Uh, that's before I started using B&B. The B&B &B, B &B pellets are going to last longer in an outside environment, and that's going to save your hopper and your auger systems. So at the end of the day, you get a better, a better wood with ours, so it's going to burn hotter because the BTU is going to be higher. You're going to have better flavor because we don't add flavor oils. And uh, there's less ash and less waste. Uh, so is, is is there a term in the business called, uh, is it lignin or, or linen that's yeah. like naturally occurring? So those, those, uh, your, your naturally occurring, uh, the wood fibers have a membrane, a, cellus, a cellulose membrane. You'll have more of that in mind uh, because mine's a fresher wood or we use fresher ingredients. If you have a piece of wood, and it could be hardwood, but if you have a piece of hardwood that's two or three years old, maybe it's a piece of furniture that's scrapped out, that ling I'm, I'm probably saying it wrong, but that you, you said it correctly, those cellulose membranes have dried out, so there's less of that in older wood. Our wood is less than a year old by the time it probably hits the pellets, um, so you have more of that in ours, and that's going to give you the distinctive smoke flavors. Uh, your apple wood comes from the cellulose membranes in the apple. Uh, we're going to have more of that in mind. Uh, your hickory, your maple, your cherry, all that's going to come from those lignans. I wish I could speak science, but that's, that's the word. But, yeah, it's, there's three different membranes that are in that are plants, basically, and the fresher the wood, the more of those flavors you have. Is B&B have their own manufacturing plant? Like these are pellets that you are making specifically, or are you outsourcing to some other manufacturer? We're outsourcing. Um, it's, so it's our, we didn't put our own pellet plant in. So what we're using another pellet plant facilities, but it's our, uh, we ship our truckloads of our dust, basically, our, with the, the splinters and the small fibers to the plant, and they produce it. It's almost like, uh, back in the day, Samuel Adams was being made at Budweiser plants, right? So after they get done with the Budweiser, Samuel Adams brings their own proprietary recipe blend in, and it's made at those things. I don't know if they still do that or not, but that was back in the day how they did it, and that's what we do. So instead of buying our own pellet manufacturing, we are using another person's, but it's our blend, if that makes any sense. It's all raw ingredients that goes into our pellets. Has there been talk ever? Uh, I mean, I would assume that the continued popularity 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 of pellet cookers is going to grow through this year, and and I would imagine it would continue to grow th through the next five ten years. Is it something that you that B and B would look into to putting in like a pellet oh, sure. their own pellet thing? This past year has been crazy busy for all people in the barbecue world. Uh, there's been a lot of capital investments that we have done to put back into our business. Um, you know, I, I, I see all aspects of barbecue continuing to grow. I yeah. think people are staying home more. So I think people have more time uh, to spend, you know, outdoor cooking. And that's going to include pellet. I don't think we're putting our own pellet plant in um, just because financially, I think we're <laughs> focusing on our charcoal and our lump. That's our, that's our main thing. Um, but yeah, and I think there's a lot of environmental concerns, too. Uh, to put a new plant in, there's a lot of government regulations involved with that because there is pollution, I guess, and the carbon footprints and stuff. So I think at this time, 
Um, we're not putting our own plan in. I know other people have, but I think we are just, it's, it's more financially. Uh, and I, I, I don't, I don't work that high up in the office to know this stuff for sure, but I don't think we are looking at putting our own pellet plant in. So we're, we'll continue to have somebody else make our pellets for us using our raw material. Uh, so we're in 2021 now. I would assume there was some type of a year-end meeting for you guys, and then you were obviously, you know, all sales guys have to put together that dreaded forecast to look out into 2021. So, like, what, uh, just roughly, like, what percentage of sales were wood pellets for you compared to lump in briquettes? Was it even 5% or, or 10% uh, versus the traditional stuff? So... We're not that big of a company. We don't have, I, I, I know just what I've sold, so I can kind of, I can kind of just spitball it, but we're kind of, I mean, it's like, I call to the CEO and I hadn't, you know, we don't have those high level discussions. He just tells me, Sell know, more. <laughs> what's your marketing budget? What's your, here's your sales goals. Yeah. We're, I mean, it's like, if there's a dozen employees at B and B that might be a overstretch. So we don't, we're not that big. Um, so we should have those meetings. Uh, but, uh, we hadn't, but I do know our pellet versus our charcoal. Our charcoal is probably 80%, and that's all forms of charcoal. And then, um, you know, I think the woods are probably, you know, I guess that maybe it's 30% from what I can see. So maybe it's 75, 25. Let's say our woods and I, I, the pellets fall under the wood category. So we have log splits, we have chunks, chips, and then, uh, and then our um, pellets are probably part of that 25%. If you if you want to look overall sales, from an accessibility standpoint on the pellets, uh, are they fairly easy to find, or is it a similar process where maybe you would want to go into an ace if you don't see them, then start striking up that conversation with the store manager and saying, "Hey, you know, look at the at the warehouse near you and start bringing them in for me." Ace has got two of our pellets. They're tied in with Traeger right now, pretty tight. So Ace yeah. carries our championship blend, which is our post oak cherry and pecan combination and they carry our jack daniels um our jack daniels is made from the uh, charcoal basically that from the from the jack daniels planet in lynchburg where we actually take the charcoal and that's an important thing to remember when people cook with i think we talked about this last time or touched on it when you cook in with pellets you're getting a raw smoke flavor a lot of people miss that charcoal flavor uh, the uh, you know the traditional smoky you know when the fat hits the it's the wood and you get that smell coming back out. You don't get that so much with the pellets. Yep. Uh, and so we, we partnered with uh, Jack Daniels and we actually use their charcoal from the char, the, you know, the char that they use from inside the barrels. We use that in our charcoal pellets. So you, I, I recommend using a cup of that for every pound of regular smoke pellets that you have. So the two that you get at Ace are, are Jack Daniels charcoal pellets and our championship blend. The other pellets are right now available. Um, pretty much Academy. Academy carries most uh, carries all our pellets. We get seven flavors of pellets. Uh, you could buy them there, um, and uh, I guess a few places sell them online. One of the most popular ones that people like is our post oak. We actually have a post oak pellet, and the reason why that's so popular is because a lot of pellets smokers they do longer cooks, like your briskets. And in, uh, in the brisket world, that post-oak flavor is, is really a Texas yep. style, and that's what people are looking for is that post-oak smell. And we, I think we're the only one that make a post-oak pellet. Uh, and uh, there's a few places online that sell it. It's just the shipping that 20 pounds of pellets shipped is going to cost as much as the bag of pellets. So, but I think our pellets sell for 11 bucks, and I think the shipping, you know, you could probably get some shipping for about 11 12 bucks or something like that. Uh, um, if you go online, look on our, uh, you know, bbcharcoal.com, you'll see a few stores in Texas. Um, they're the ones who be carrying it, and you can contact them directly and, you know, work out something if they want it. Uh, from a charcoal standpoint, before we broach into the next subject, that where are we at as we get into the new year from a inventory level? Last time we talked, it was, you know, really kind of chasing around to make sure that everybody was getting what they were looking for supply and demand was at a, at a premium still the same kind of thing uh, six seven weeks later i just talked to him today uh the char logs are the only things that that maybe have a 30 day uh and so if somebody's interested in putting an order in give me a call um but we uh we're up to speed with our briquettes um 
I'd say about two or three weeks for the briquettes, but that's kind of normal. But we've got lump, uh, all our flavors are lump. We've got our hickory lump, our mesquite lump, and our, and our oak lump, and then the briquettes. So get your orders in for the briquettes. Uh, we're happy to help folks with that. Um, and those are for the independent stores, even A stores. Ace, you know, people can call us up directly or, or contact us directly, and we can get those out. But the charlogs, and the reason why is because the way our process works, we start with the oak lump. The smaller pieces of that oak lump that don't make into the bag, that's what we make our briquettes with. And then the smaller pieces of that, we make our charlogs with. So our charlogs are a third-step process, and those are probably 30 days out. But our, uh, our lump and our briquettes are catching up. All right, so that sounds good. So, so if you're good. interested, then uh, go ahead and visit uh, Ace or uh, you know check out the website and see where you can get it at. Uh, so let's go ahead and switch gears here for a second, Ed, and, you know, a lot of us suffer from this disease called MCS or multiple cooker syndrome. If you look back out in my patio, I have a Weber gas grill. I have two green mountain pellet cookers. I have a Traeger. I have a Lang offset. Uh, I might've had a pair of Weber smoky mountains as well, but they might've been gifted and you know, the list kind of went on and on. Uh, a lot more people have a lot more grills and cookers in their backyard than that. You seem to have taken it to a completely different level. So I don't know if you have a rough count or because you knew that this was going to be a portion of the interview. If you went, you know, took a couple weeks to, to count and, and get a true definitive head count. What's your current cooker count? So first, a disclaimer, the multiple cooking, uh, syndrome is, is not a bad thing. It's, it's a good thing. Totally. I mean, it, most people, if you walk into your kitchen, you have a multiple ways of cooking. You've got a toaster, a microwave, an oven, a stove. You've got a variety of things to cook on. I think your deck needs that too. I think your deck needs a uh, ceramic. It needs a pellet. It needs a gas. There's nothing wrong with having a charcoal or two for Agreed. different things. So right. not a bad thing, I think. Um, and, and, and your outdoor kitchen should kind of reflect your indoor kitchen. I mean, if you go to contest, you'll see these people having multiple different appliances to cook different things. They cook the chicken on this, the brisket on that, and that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not trying to dodge your question, but the... Uh, <laughs> Is it no preface needed in this, uh, in this neighborhood? You're, you're good to go. <laughs> um, I started collecting vintage grills. That's the key, vintage. These are older grills. Um, and I think it was 2015 that um, I entered the world's book of the Guinness book of world's records at 750 grills. That was a few years ago. I've added a few since then. Um, but the, uh, so I'm, I'm keeping my wife out of this a little bit, but I <laughs> probably about 850 grills. Now, wow. So, look at you. Uh, Holy moly. So that, that was, um, and most of these are, like I said, they're vintage. They're, you know, some of them I do use, but right now, you know, the, you know, the primary thing, my wife actually cooks more than I do. So she cooks on the, a gas grill, but I do like the charcoal grills better. Um, and I'm looking forward to, uh, right now they're all in storage. It's just, I've got them in a variety of different places. Some of them were in a museum in Atlanta for a while and they're being packed up and hopefully they're going to Alabama for another museum exhibit there. But it's only about 40 or 50 of them in that exhibit. Um, but the, um, uh, and just uh, there was a point in time that you could buy these things for nothing, you know, like 10, 15, 20 bucks a piece. Uh, I just bought one the other day at a St. Croix. It's probably 150 years old and it's an old, you know, kind of a cast iron looking, they call it a coal pot, but it's a grill basically. Uh, and it was off an old sugar plantation that was built in the 1750s. This one doesn't go that old, but it's a cast iron one that's pitted and used. And you can imagine how many special events, how many steaks, how many bellies were filled with food that's cooked off this grill. So right. those are ones that, um, and it was off an auction, you know, that was like 50 bucks or something. And, um, but you know, it's just, what were they going to do with it if they didn't sell it? You know, they'd probably scrap it or something. Sure. So something like that just just has some historic value to it. Um, and those are the type of things I collect mainly. It's just, it's just older ones, um, things that have some history to them and definitely unique ones. Um, you know, I've got some old, like I worked for Weber for about 20 years, so that's really what started it. Right. Um, and I've got some old, like 1950, I, I say it's a flat top Weber top. I've got two of those. 
So those are before Weber dome the top, and they probably started doming the top in 53. So these are 52s, like maybe 51, 52s, somewhere in there. So that's the type of stuff I collect. Do you have a ballpark value on the collection in total? I mean, certainly I'm sure some of this stuff is way more valuable to you personally because of the story behind it or how you acquired it, things like this. But do you have a, a general retail I, number on that? Yes, for insurance, I did insure a collection. When oh. you have a collection, you you got to kind of estimate. And I esti- right. I estimated at about a hundred thousand dollars worth. I didn't oh. spend that on it, but that's just sure. some of the things that have gone up in value. Like you know, some of the early Weber grills I bought for twenty or thirty bucks are, are selling now for three or four thousand. So oh. you know, they they've got some value added to them. Um, but you know, as as any historical item, it's you know, how do you gauge it if there's only two of them out there? You know, some of the grills I have are the only ones of them out there. So you can only kind of say, well, you know, I was just before I talked to you, I was looking online. Some uh, some movie house rents these things out. And they're, you know, five or six of the grills they rent out, I own. And they rent them out for, you know, $1,000 a week or something like that. So I can kind of estimate what my value is worth based on something like that. But, yeah, so, yeah, somewhere around that. But that's, that's of course, that's just... And, and, you know, with any antique, it's just whatever the market bears on that one. There's no real market value for some of the stuff at the time. But so that's what I that's what I put the insurance policy at. Well, it used to be Ted Reader, the king of all grills here on this show, but uh, easily usurped by the one and only Ed Riley of B&B Charcoal. Uh, Ed, appreciate you coming on tonight and hipping us to the pellet part of the business and giving us an inventory sure, status yeah. of the briquettes and the lump and then talking to us about the uh, grill collection that you're currently curating. Always appreciate the time. Thanks so much for doing it. Well, thanks for having me on again, Greg. We appreciate it. And just let us know next time you ever want to talk about a barbecue. I love you got talking it. To you guys. I will do it. There he is, Ed Riley, right there, owning all the grills in the world. <laughs> in case you missed it, 800 800- and 50 at rough count. Wow, we that's a lot. Ted Reader, I think at one point said he had a hundred. Maybe a little more than a hundred, hundred and so many. Not 850. That's for sure. I wonder if my connection is not working well. There he is. Mendel is in the green room, ready to come on here. I'm going to talk to you quickly about Green Mountain Grills, some of the best pellet cookers out there on the market today, and then we'll talk the meat stick. Uh, Green Mountain Grills has two lines to choose from, as I tell you each and every week, a choice line and then a prime line. If you want the tech, if you want the internal meat probes, you want the peek-in windows on the main cooking chamber and the pellet hopper, You want Wi-Fi capability. You want to be able to adjust temperature and look at everything on your mobile app. You need the Prime Line or Prime Plus. Prime Plus gets you the lights inside as well and the fold-down front table. Prime Line, a fixed front table, but you have the connectivities I had mentioned. If you want to save a couple bucks, fine. Get the Choice Line, perfectly fine. It's the same size as the Prime Lines, just a little bit different tech. Well, no tech for the Choice. But it's a great cooking vessel. Either the Jim Bowie or the Daniel Boone will also house the pizza oven insert, regardless of line. That's something you're going to want to get. And then for mobile opportunity, Davy Crockett plugs right into your 12-volt outlet in the car. It's got battery clamps if you want to bring a car battery along with you or you just you know plug it in wherever you can get AC at. You're not sacrificing in a tremendous amount of capacity for portability either with the Davy Crockett, so check it out. Only sold through dealers. So go to GreenMountainGrills.com, find the nearest dealer near you, and then go see it in person. Learn from the dealer. Let them educate you, and you have success right when you get home. The Meat Stick. We'll learn all about it in just a few minutes. Stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to the number one most downloaded barbecue and grilling podcast anywhere. The Barbecue Central Show. Celebrating over 10 years of prolific and unparalleled live fire barbecue and grilling talk. 
And yes, it's still being done from Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. And this portion being brought to you by Smithfield. Smokin, S-M-O-K-I-N, smokinwithsmithfield.com is a place to go. Find out about their committed cooks program. Still trying to lock down Lower Paul for the reveal of the Smithfield grant program for competitions this year and the ones that were going to get it last year. But, of course, that didn't work out too well because of coronavirus. You can also visit smithfield.com as well. Smithfield with us for 2021. Or to help me close the show tonight is a company that is looking to change the thermometer world with their wireless offering for years. Thermometers have wires, and that has been the norm. But over the past few years, we've been seeing more and more wireless options coming to market. So let's go ahead and learn about something called the meat stick with the one and only Mendel Lynn. And we race to the hotline. Hey, Mendel. Hi, Greg. How are you today? I am fabulous. Appreciate you joining me this evening or uh, where you are uh, probably towards uh, noon or uh, something like that as you are joining us (laughs) from the uh, great city of Taiwan, ladies and gentlemen, if you can believe it. I'm not kidding, (laughs) by the way. That's for real. We'll get into that here in a second. Uh, Before (laughs) we get into talking about the meat stick, Mendel, a little background on you professionally and, uh, you know, where you, I guess, where you lived originally and, and how you made your way over to where you're at right now. Um, so I was actually a, a lawyer um, many years ago and I got dragged into the uh, IOT space um, developing a smart home and technologies involved with that. Um, I'm actually from California and I actually still live in LA. I'm just over here, uh, as some people like to call it, as a uh, a quarantine refugee, um, (laughs) staying away from what's happening, you know, in the States right now. Uh, So were you you there because maybe you vacation uh, or you just had like a rental property over there or like, uh, you know, when I'm thinking about getting away, uh, Taiwan isn't like the first thing that comes to, I mean, nowhere comes to mind except (laughs) maybe Australia because I've heard they've been doing it right. But um, why Taiwan? So our production um, is all in Taiwan. So I was actually doing a trip um, a couple months ago to come back and check on it um, for pretty much before the holiday seasons. I was supposed to be back in the States um, with the family for um, for Christmas, but uh, things got very bad, obviously, in L.A. during that time. So I uh, decided at least for now to prolong it here in Taiwan um, a bit longer to see how things clear up. So outside of... You know, trying to sell a wireless thermometer product into the live fire market. Are you somebody that just generally likes barbecue and grilling food? And if so, what's your favorite stuff to get after? So for me, I actually, um, I love ribs. And the way we actually got into um, even thinking about uh, this technology was I normally host um, an annual pool party for my friends some family and whatnot. Um, and I'm always cooking and I, something I realized about cooking is when you're cooking for, you know, 20, 30, 40 guests, you're constantly occupied preparing the food. So for me, over time, I realized I'm always doing this, um, you know, a day goes or, you know, an event goes by and you're like, all right, did, who did I talk to? What, what happened? I served them great food. Everyone had a great time. Um, you know, that was my goal. But at the same time, I, I'm always trying to figure out ways to, uh, you know, make things easier for all of us. So this is why I was in the smart home, you know, tech. Originally, we developed some technology um, with regards to trying to automating uh, lights and things like that um, right before, you know, you know, all these other players were in the space. Um, one of the big things was just being in bed and making sure all the lights in her house are turned off. You know, something so simple as that. Mendel Lynn joining us here on the show. The website, by the way, is uh, themeatstick.com, and you can check it out while we're talking if you're not familiar with it. So it does appear that wireless thermometers are the future of uh, you know remote temperature monitoring, if you will. Uh, the first one that jumps to mind, mm-hmm. and it has been for years, is this meter uh, and that seems to have like the most, uh, I don't know if brand recognition or, or just general recognition as far as wireless ones are concerned. But now you have Meatstick mm-hmm. and a few other ones that are coming to market here recently. Were you inspired mm-hmm. 
buy the meter or some like some other competing product and you said, hey, uh, conceptually nice, but I can execute much better? So actually, our prototyping was um, we're, when we we're just playing with the idea. That's when we found out about Meter originally, and they had their Kickstarter. Definitely, I'll admit um, they're probably uh, was you know um, developing technology before we were. Um, but they helped validate our idea because we were working on some other technology at the time as well. Um, so as we were already prototyping it, we decided to also to put more effort into it um, to really develop it out. How quickly are you able to go from whatever that initial prototype looked at to a finished product you could bring to market? Well, we were trying to get our product actually to the market before Meter, um, simply put. Um, and we almost were able to do that. Uh, what I mean, honestly, this technology is a lot more complicated than it seems. Um, it's one thing to create a prototype. And it's another thing to mass manufacture it. Uh, so I understand the issues and why they potentially took, you know, many years to, you know, get the product to market. I just figured they wanted um, to raise multi-million dollars yeah. and then get the hell out of town. It seemed like a scam to me. <laughs> yeah, that's what everyone seemed. I mean, looking at their, looking at their timeline um, and their, I guess the prototypes that I don't, I don't know if they, they did, they really even show how it worked back then. I'm not even sure. Uh, but, I, I think it was very uh, yeah, rudimentary. I mean, no one knew what was yeah. 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 But uh, what I can say is we got our Wi-Fi version onto the market before they did. Um, their blocks released like, I don't know, a year and a half uh, later from when we released our Wi-Fi bridge. We definitely approached the situation completely differently than they did. All right. So uh, for the folks that aren't familiar with it or, or can't wrap their head around what we're talking about mentally, can you paint a picture for us as far as you know, what it looks like and, and how it actually operates? Oh, for sure. So um, let me see. I have one right here. It's a pretty much the wireless meet thermometer uh, on a charging block. And the idea of it is you take it out and you stick it into a piece of meat. So over here, I actually have uh, my nice trusty little fake piece of meat. Yes. Um, and then you just stick it right on it. Right. And while it's inside, it's monitoring the internal temperatures of your meat. Um, and there's a, you know, a handle outside which can measure the ambient sensor um, in whatever, you know, oven, grill that it's in. Uh, so pretty straightforward stuff. When you're putting it in, <laughs> uh, do you have to make sure that the, uh, let's say, the, the stainless part is all the way in the meat? Uh, to make sure that you're getting so, a an accurate internal and that it's not somehow conflicting with the uh, external portion of it. So most definitely. So um, there's actually two reasons why we have uh, we require the customer to actually stick it in completely into the meat. Um, the first one is you know just high heat um, degrades you know electrical components. Simply put, um, the less wear it has to you know your 400 degree oven, your 400 degree grill, 500 degrees, um, the better the electronics will survive in the long run. Mm. So that's the first one. The second one is really also the temperature accuracy. Um, when it's exposed, for example, it's exposed um, outside of it, because these thermometers aren't as thin as you know the typical wired ones or instant reads, there's a lot more heat that's able to go into it and transfer inside, which will give it a less accurate reading. So let's talk about the gauge of that thing. Uh, the the thing that I the, the biggest complaint that I hear, aside from you know not being able to get more than six inches away without it starting to fuck up royally, <sighs> is uh, you mm -hmm. know I'm not real keen on the size of hole that it leaves in the meat. Some people don't really care about it, but other people seem to to bring it mm -hmm. up. I would assume that it's a bigger gauge because there's obviously more technology that's packed into that than you would have a, a, a wired probe. That's completely correct. For a typical wired probe, it's um, pretty much two wires going down the probe with a sensor at the very, you know, very bottom um, of the probe. However, because all the electronics are based within the probe itself or a meat stick, um, there literally is electronic components and pieces within inside, um, and there's of course the uh, the battery rechargeable battery inside as well that needs to be protected. All of that can only get so thin. Do you um, 
obviously we're trying to make it thinner, but it's, you know, it, it, it is hard to do to stuff all that technology inside. Is, is there a smaller version of that? If you were, uh, you know, I, I'm just throwing something out because it seems to make sense, but if you're going to do like a Cornish game <laughs> hand, maybe that thing would pierce all the way through the, the breast. And you, so you don't need something that large. You just shit out of luck or do you have other options? So we were actually um, releasing our new mini soon. Um, it is a lot smaller. Um, comparing in size, what we were able to do is bring the um, put in a smaller battery. Um, so it, the big issue is it doesn't last as long, um, but it's also thinner. It's five point five uh, millimeters versus um, six millimeters. I think it was um, of the meat stick. We call this the mini. And so with this, we like to say it's for, you know, the typical, typical cook. You're cooking anything, um, any small cuts of meat. The larger one, the meat stick is really for what we, what I like to call, you know, traditional American barbecue, large cuts of meat, um, brisket, even your ribs, um, really cooking anything that you would need to cook for an extremely long time. All right, so let's talk about um, options uh, or, or models, uh, if there's anything other than just the meat stick and the mini, and then, of course, uh, price points. Of course. So we've actually we released um, the original meat stick back in, it was like three years ago, I guess. Um, and we got a lot of feedback really quickly saying, uh, what was the problem with it? Um, the biggest problem was the range. So we actually had two versions during that time. It was our original meat stick and our Wi-Fi bridge set. What we knew is people didn't want that Wi-Fi access uh, to the meat stick in order to, you know, really watch their temperatures from anywhere, especially when you're cooking a brisket for, you know, 16 hours up to 24 hours, depending on, you know, those extreme uh, barbecuers. Uh, so that's what we were aiming for. Um, one thing we realized really quickly is people wanted more range. We you know, after our initial release, we really looked at what can we do to extend that range. Um, with the way our technology works, uh, we, we were quickly able to create a uh, pretty much a Bluetooth repeater. And we were able to get that on market uh, relatively quickly as well. Um, so that became our best selling product. It encompasses a uh, majority of, you know, people with range concerns. Um, so and it was at a cheaper price point. How many can you run at one time? So what we actually recommend is you could run up to eight at a time. What's different about our technology, our Bluetooth technology versus our competitors I, is really uh, we don't use traditional Bluetooth pairing. What we use instead is something called um, a beacon, Bluetooth beacon. And the main difference of that is in traditional Bluetooth pairing, you're connecting and as you know, with wireless ear earbuds, you're connecting to one phone and they talk to each other. Um, there are pros and cons of both, but the problem with that is it one, it limits the range, it uses more batteries um, and you're limited by the number you connect to. So instead, what we've done is we've created uh, this beacon format where it's really just letting any device that has the capability to read that signal just to be aware of what that temperature is. So by doing it that way, uh, you could have eight, eight sticks and you could read all of them um, from your phone or if you have our Wi-Fi bridge unit, um, it would be able to listen to that. And what's really cool about this technology is, uh, you know, our competitors also are able to have this Bluetooth re re um, Bluetooth repeater, right? Um, for ours, all you need is one repeating device to repeat up to eight sticks. And, and the repeater so, is different than the, yeah. the Wi-Fi bridge? Yes. So right now, we've actually included the repeater within the charger itself. So we have the meat stick and what we call the meat stick X. And the X is for extended range. Okay. So just with this one charger, this this charger unit right now, you see it's flashing green. It's letting you know it's um, the range extending is active, and it will extend the range of any probes nearby up to 260 feet away. Is that clear line of sight, or regardless of wall or, or what? That is clear. That is clear line of sight. Okay. 
so what so, about the as the... I like to say what oops go for it no 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 go ahead so what I like to say with the 260 feet is it really I mean if you're in your backyard usually it's able to get with get into at least one through one wall right if you're in your living room you're pretty much good obviously if you want to go into the bathroom or for the farther back it might be able to reach that far but you know it's, it's definitely hard to guarantee depending on the home However, if you're cooking within the, the home itself in your kitchen um, with the oven, you it usually gives a good enough range for the entire home, hmm. unless you have a giant mansion, of course. Uh, I do not, so we don't have to worry about that. Um, <laughs> you know, so my overriding thought is Bluetooth really just kind of sucks most of the time. <clears throat> your distance yeah. or range is going to be Wi-Fi. The the mm-hmm. the thing that I have, uh, as I had mentioned before when we were testing, is uh, the Fireboard, which is not a wireless mm-hmm. option. It, it is completely wired. Mm-hmm. But out of the box, mm-hmm. mega simple to set up. Hooks right up to my local area mm-hmm. network or router, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. The app is very simple to get up and running. And I can go to the grocery store mm-hmm. or Tennessee and immediately look mm-hmm. and see what's on my grill and how it's tracking and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Is, is, is there... Is there some kind of disconnect with the wireless side of this and where it doesn't seem to just be meshing up as well? Or is your Wi-Fi capability just as easy as the Fireboard, for instance? I would like to say it's just as easy to a certain extent. Um, obviously, when you're dealing with wireless technology, there is always that potential issue with connections. Uh, but generally, it, it works pretty seamlessly. Um, one thing the wired option that does have over wireless is really the refresh rate. And what that means is just how quickly um, the temperature can be updated. Once it's wired in, it's measuring the set, the temperature every, or pulling the, the sensor every, what, like uh, 0.1 seconds or whatnot. So it's able to pull that temperature really quickly and get that over to you very quickly. With the wireless, um, version ours also pulled very quickly, but the problem is the transmission, the receiving time that adds a few, every step adds a few milliseconds. So you're getting that temperature maybe uh, one or two seconds later. Is that something that you can majority? Of, is that something that you can improve upon, or just the nature of that business? It's always going to be a little bit. Uh, it will have a little bit more latency on it. Um. It, it really is just the nature of the business. Um, one thing I could say is with the traditional pairing, it does run a little bit quicker. Um, the latency is a bit better with regards to that. However, from what we've been seeing with you know majority of cooks, unless you're trying to get exactly precise measurements, it's really not necessary. Right. Um, even if you're searing something, um, that one, two seconds does not make much of a difference. Um, and as you grow to use it, you also get accustomed to... Um, the, the data that it's feeding you. Did you, uh, what were the price points on those again? So, um, our original meat stick is $70. Um, the meat sticks X is a hundred dollars or $69.99, $99.99. And then we have our Wi-Fi bridge set, um, which includes our Wi-Fi bridge unit, a carrying case, uh, one meat stick set or, and an extra probe. And that's for one ninety nine ninety nine. What's the cost of a replacement probe? Let's say I got careless with it or, you know, man, I don't know why things just stop working for whatever reason, but, you know, it's it's a pretty uh, cost uh, mm-hmm. or non-cost factor for a wired one. It's 15 bucks and away you go. Uh, I would imagine yeah, yeah. you're, are you just mm-hmm. buying another probe at 60 bucks or 70 bucks to replace it then? So we actually sell individual probes um, at $55. Um, what I didn't mention earlier is we actually have four different colored probes. So the probe, the colored probes, uh, tell you two things, really. One, it tells you, um, an easy identifier physically on when you're seeing it, is it red, yellow, green, or black, but also in the app, it's identified as that as well. Um, what we do is we print it on the ceramic. Um, so it's, uh, the color is always there. Um, as opposed to using, I know some people, they use a silicone ring that might burn if you're trying to sear with it, um, or just, you know, it's exposed to heat, it turns black, um, which has more issues with that. 
is there a warranty on the items? So we have a one-year warranty uh, that you know encompasses all our products. Um, we, I will admit, there's always a chance uh, of you know our quality control is good, but it's still not at the place where it's 100% perfect. Um, one thing I could say is because the the technology, the electronics being fit inside you know small small stainless steel probes is very difficult to do. So even though our testing, initial testing is fine, there are always chances of something happening and causing issues. Um, so we do have a one-year warranty with regards to that uh, because most of the issues are potentially uh, in that first step. Uh, one thing, one uh, limitation of that is obviously if you're exceeding the maximum temperatures or you're inserting the sticks wrong, um, that would void warranty. And unfortunately, we do get that here and then. Uh, people are literally, um, I would say they're literally sticking the stick in like this <laughs> and cooking with it. There, um, we have a lot of instructions. Sadly, there is that learning curve as well. Uh, because people are used to an instant read, we try to warn them, um, to try to get them to understand how to use it properly. You know, the center isn't at the tip, it's in the center. They think it's, you know, at the tip. Um, and so they would insert it with just the tip in and they pretty much fry all the electronics and they're wondering why it doesn't work anymore. Right. Uh, I mean, we would love to replace it, but at the same time, it's, it's, we're still trying I'll admit we're as a, as a small company, we're still trying to figure out, you know, customer service and what's being lenient and what's being not, um, uh, from what I've seen, usually if they're nice about it, we usually replace it for free for the first time. But there are a lot of people that get really angry saying it's not very clear. And just FYI, in our app, we literally have a section where we need them to say, caution, do not do this. Um, click here to say that you've read this. Uh -huh. um, and we try to make it very clear. But, you know, people still don't read. Yes, um, totally. Or even, or even, yeah. So uh, we're, we're trying to figure that out a little bit. The old customer service line. Uh, we'll replace as a one-time courtesy is a phrase that you guys should put in the uh, the old CSR manuals, no doubt. Um, I had asked Ben West, uh, ben West this, uh, the guy that uh, created Spark Grill. I don't know if you're familiar with those or not, but I'll ask you the same question. Considering, you know, there are uh, companies that start out with a intended end game. Uh, for you guys at the Meat Stick, is this a brand that you're starting and looking to evolve five and, and 10 and 15 years from now? So the wireless uh, temperature monitoring game is synonymous with Meat Stick, or are you looking to ramp it up and prove this concept and then hope that maybe Weber or Charbroil might come to you and say, hey, Mendel, uh, we have a big fat checkbook here and what's your walk-off number? We would like to take it over at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it, it's definitely hard to say, right? If someone's coming with me with, you know, not for me, dollars, I want the know, money. It's, 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 I always <laughs> want the money. <laughs> but honestly, creating this technology and it's different companies coming to us right now with, um, just being really excited for this technology and the applications of it, not just for the barbecue world, um, even just different facets of, uh, you know, the restaurants, um, the, even some temperature measurement companies are coming to us, food storage. I, there, there's so much opportunity here right now uh, besides just, you know, barbecue and um, just cooking out that um, I mean, really just see what happens. A lot of upside. And right. we're talking with Mendel Lynn. You can check them out over at themeatstick.com. And I appreciate you coming on here uh, for you this afternoon and giving us a little history on yourself and the meat stick and what it has to bring to the market. We wish you continued success, and we'll talk to you again soon. All right, sounds good. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Greg. You got I it. really appreciate being here. My pleasure. Thanks for coming right. on and chatting it up. There he is, Mandel from the meat stick. That's right, so be sure to check them out over at themeatstick.com. I know Dan. Saying as the battery power goes down, the signal gets unreliable. Well, I would imagine. If that's the power and you're losing the power, reliability might be at a premium, as they say.
All right, let's go ahead and start to finish it up here, folks. Since 1983, all the way. Remember 1983? I was nine. Pits and Spits was established. That's right. Smokers and Grills made right down there in Houston, Texas, establishing itself as one of the premier brands in high-quality offset smokers and more recently pellet cookers. Pits and Spits setting itself apart by using heavy 7 and 10 gauge stainless in every cooker, fully welded construction that you can feel when you use the unit and 304 stainless roll top lids and front shelves on every single smoker. So why does it matter? Well, by using higher quality materials, Pits and Spits smokers reach and maintain temperatures, allowing you to worry more about the meat than the heat. By providing a fully welded smoker, you don't have to worry about grease or smoke leaking out of the barrel or about grills rattling apart as you move them through the backyard. By using 304 stainless, you're getting an heirloom quality product that you can pass down to your kids. Now, where some companies are focused on being the low-cost provider in the segment, Pits and Spits focuses on craftsmanship and quality materials. Are there cheaper ways to make these things? Yes, but they don't like tack welds. They don't like cheap stainless and electronics that you just can't trust. Having in-house manufacturing gives them complete control over the design and standards. Not something you find with stuff brought in from overseas. Their steel suppliers supply material to be used in some of the harshest environments around, so you know they're going to perform in any and all conditions, like right here in Cleveland or the Upper Peninsula of Michigan or North Dakota or Wyoming. Uh, Their controllers, by the way, are made right here in the States, giving them unimpeded transparency into the programming Pits and Spits has a dealer network across the country. If there isn't one close to you, feel free to give them a call at 844-650-6250. Ask for Koi, and he'll help you out. Tell him I sent you. Whether you're a backyard grill master or competition cooking team, Pits and Spits is a product for you. You can check them out and all of their products on the website, pitsandspits.com, all spelled out. Or you can see their Pits in the Wild across social media with their handle at Pits and Spits. Once again, all spelled out. Here's a fun fact from Navy Walrus that I'm going to flash right now. Did you know India has the highest rate of open defecation in the world? I Why would I know that? I didn't. Fun fact here on the Barbecue Central Show. By the way, I have no way of corroborating that. So Navy Walrus, provide your quality links and due diligence. Once again, uh, that segment brought to you by Pits and Spits, and we're back to wrap the show right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back. Whole packers, full racks, legs and thighs, injecting butts. If you've never heard this before, you might think you found the best triple X show ever. Let's get back to the most homoerotic host out there today, Craig Rimpey. And this portion brought to you by Vortic Watch. You see it right there on the split screen. A small batch custom watch manufacturing and vintage restoration company located in Boulder, they take antique, I'm sorry, it's Fort Collins, Colorado, by the way. They take antique American pocket watches, turn them into wristwatches like this. Their mission, preserve and enhance the legacy of manufacturing excellence in America. In order to do that, they combine traditional and cutting-edge technology to create unique quality, functional timepieces with exceptional value. Here's the cool part. Each Vortic watch, unique, one-of-a-kind. Vortic founded on the motto that America wasn't assembled, it was built. And you can check them out at VorticWatches.com. They already had the watch for the week up. And guess what? If you weren't quick, it's sold. Like quickly. I got that email. Man, that thing was gonzo. $3,200 today. That was on the cheap entry level side. Cheap. That was on the entry level side. We don't like to say cheap in the world of sales. At least I know. It's got a negative connotation. We want to build value here, folks. That's what we do in this game. We build value. All right, let's go ahead and get the hell out of here all the way back in the first hour. We had Stephen Reichlin on from BarbecueBible.com. We looked back at what was hot in 2020, and we looked ahead to what he thinks will be hot in 2021. He's also got a new grilling vegetables book coming out in April or May, I believe he said. Then we talked with Ben West from Spark Grill. It's a charcoal-powered with a thermostatic control 
Got some background on him and how the cooker works and what they're looking to do with it. He's looking to go big like Peloton, but with a grill. That's aggressive. I like it. Also, in the second hour, we moved to, we found Ed Riley. We talked about wood pellets from B&B. So there is another manufacturer who is making their recipe with their um, with their products, their raw materials, of making their pellets from the B&B recipe. And then we also talked about the fact that he has 850 grills <laughs> under lock and key, ranging somewhere in the neighborhood of a total value of $100,000. plus Like, I can't imagine. You get to 30 grills, and my wife would be like, what the fuck are you doing? That's 30 grills out there. Well, I got bad news, honey. I'm going to go get 820 more. What? I said 820 more. What the hell you are? Good for you, Ed. We close it out with Mendel Lin from The Meat Stick. He's in Taiwan in a COVID reprieve because they haven't had a positive COVID case in like 250 days or whatever. So they're doing something right over there. And uh, they have manufacturing over there. So we learned about the meat stick and the mini, the regular one, and their Wi-Fi connectivity and their Bluetooth connectivity. Starting at around 70 bucks and going up from there. I think it's got to be Wi-Fi. Everything else is BS. Give me Wi-Fi. Give me reliability with the Wi-Fi. And uh, somebody's going to win big with that when it becomes easy and reliable to use. And maybe that's the one. We'll see. Meatstick.com is the website. Big show planned for you next week. It's the fourth Tuesday. So we have the embedded correspondence. Derek Riches will be in for the first time as well. We're going to start gearing up for American Idol 2021 or whatever I'm going to call it this year. We'll start making those inroads as well. Jam-packed show. Hit me up during the week at BBQ Central Show on all the social medias or a email is fine too, greg at thebbqcentralshow.com. September 11th, 2001. I will never forget until next Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. This is your program host and proud U.S. American, Greg Rempe. Good night now. Good night now.